I, I've got two things here. I've got my I've got my bony finger of indignation with me today. Just in case you were wondering what that might be. Um, I've, I, but I recognize that even when I point this, if I go like this, it's pointing back at me, just like if I use my own hand. So uh, I, I bring that today just so you know. This is uh, one of those sermons that as a pastor, I'm sitting here going, I don't really want to do this the way that it, it feels like it. And so I need, to, I need to deliver it, but I want you to hear that this is one of those spots where we as a church, we as a church nation, as a group of people, not just this church, but as the Colville churches, as the Washington churches, as the North American churches, we need, we need to accept some correction every so often. And the scripture does that for us. And this is one of those spots. Now, last week in James chapter one, there was a line that we were talking about, and that was that that uh, we want to we we really want to join in and create God's justice, and then we get mad about something and we try to fix it, but our anger doesn't make God's justice happen. It just means that we get angry. And we try to recreate God's justice or, or cr- help him create it with our anger, but that doesn't work. Today, I need to talk about um, another way we try to work around God's way and do it our own way. And so I want to read the scripture, and then we'll work through that, okay? This is from James chapter 2. Remember, I've, I've said a couple of things here. Uh, one is, is that James is trying to do the Jesus agenda in the world. So whatever's going on in James, he's doing it. He's getting it from Jesus, and he's trying to say, this is how we need to live because of what he said. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? Now, I need to stop and explain something that's really funky in the Greek in this language right here. Um, There's two spots. There's a spot in Romans and a spot right here. The spot in Romans says we are saved by faith in Jesus, or it says we are saved by Jesus' faith in us. And there's no way to tell which is which. And so normally when the Bible does that, the answer is yes. Uh-huh. We are in this spot right here. The, the, the Greek literally can be read, how can you claim to have Jesus' faith alive in you, his, our glorious Lord's faith alive in you, or it says, how can you claim to have G- faith in the, our glorious Lord Jesus? And there's no way to tell them apart in this construction. And so the answer is yes. How can Jesus' faith be alive in you, and how can you say you have faith if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes to your meeting. This is a, the word here is to your synagogue which tells me a lot of people think James is arguing with Paul and correcting Pauline stuff on faith versus works and things like this. Um, I would tell you the word synagogue here, which the Christians quit meeting in the synagogues by about A.D. 54, 
before Paul, what most of the Pauline literature is writing, this might be one of the very first epistles written. Paul is writing after this. So he's not arguing with Paul. He's talking about something. So anyway, somebody comes to your, your synagogue, to your church, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. The only other person described this way in the Gospels is Herod. Or we might say Kim Jong-il. Yeah? Kim jong Kim. And another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there or sit on the ground, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God from Matthew 5. But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? And aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law of the scriptures. By the way, the royal law of the scriptures, every little piece of it. Love your neighbors as yourself, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except for one is is just as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not commit murder. So if you murder somebody, but you don't commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Likewise, the other way. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have, been sh- who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, then God will be merciful when he judges you. Or, in some translations, some of your translations will say, mercy trumps judgment. Mercy wins over judgment. Now you might be saying, but wait, there's, this is just James talking. I need to set the tone. I've got a whole bunch of scriptures here. I love this. Are you ready? How many of you read Amos for bedtime reading? <laughs> right, you just pull out Amos and do that. I actually, there's some really cool stuff in Amos, but you really need to read it with another book side by side because there are two prophets going at the same time talking the same issue. Hosea and Amos are going at the same time. It's pretty cool. But Amos 5, you they hate him who, re, who guards the gate and abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, 
Yet you, ha- you will not live in them, and you've planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. This is a judgment about what the rich do in the court system. And, and, and I just want you to hear this. In our world, there's a whole segment of our population in America that thinks there is no justice for them. They don't have a mo- enough money to enter into the justice system. They don't have a way to get the right lawyer that could help them get through the system. And, and that, that isn't just a racial issue in our country, but that is a demographic issue across the line. Or perhaps you want some, some Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. That sounds all well and good, but it starts off with this little thing right in front of it. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere the Lord your God. And then it goes in and says, and don't, don't judge unfairly. It starts off by saying, don't cause those that are already have a spot in their life where it's weak and it's hard for them, don't go making it harder. And by the way, that's like blasphemy before the Lord. And I can go on and on and on, but what should we do? What should we do? What is our call as Christians to do? Psalm 96.3 Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds amongst all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's our job. Did you know that? How do you do that? Well, what you do is you start to look inside yourself and you say, what's God done for me? What have I seen him do? And then you say that. Now, that sounds really hard, doesn't it? But nobody can trump your experience in that spot. You've got something to say that nobody can really argue with. They can say, no, God didn't do that. But how do they know? So if God's done something for you, then you start talking about it. And how do you talk about it? When when you talk about somebody, what are you actually doing? You're lifting up their reputation and saying, this is the reputation of our God. Now, I'm going somewhere with this reputation thing. Just hold on to reputation for a second, because I think you've heard me talk at length about relationships. That even righteousness, God's righteousness, is in part, not the whole meaning of righteousness, but part of it is right-relatedness. In other words, God is never in a spot that his position breaks the relationship with people. He's always rightly related with people. Now, every one of you in the room that can say that, lift up your hand. You never, ever break a relationship with anybody. Okay, that means we need some of God's righteousness inside us in the same way that we need the faith of Jesus inside us. Do you know what the faith of Jesus is? The faith of Jesus is Philippians 2, that literally he's God, but he doesn't think that that's such a big deal to be up in the high and mighties that he holds on to it, but instead uh, takes the task at hand and comes down to earth to show us what God's like. 
That's the faith of Jesus. And when that faith takes root in us, it starts to change us. Well, when God's righteousness or right relatedness starts to take root in us, we start fixing relationships around us. And if you've started fixing relationships, you might, not, you, you might say, well, I did all that work. Yes, because God's righteousness has started to take root inside you and the fruit just comes out. But if it's all about relationships with God, and I think you could say that it's quite a bit about relationships with God, then his glory, in the same way that righteousness, part of the meaning of righteousness is right relatedness, part of the meaning of glory is God's reputation in the world. Does he take glory just because he's fantastic? No, he's glorious because he's done marvelous things and they need to be spoken about amongst the nations. Now, it doesn't mean all that. There's more to glory than that. Right? When we sing sometimes, let your glory fill this place, may we feel, feel your presence. That's also part of the glory reputa- definition. But over here... His glory is how he's known. And how are you known in the world? By your reputation. By what you've done. By how that's accepted and moved. And so in this case, in relationship to the world, if I were to go back, now that I've redefined this, let me read the psalm. I must have put it someplace. Psalm 96 again. It's gone. So did that. I don't know where I put it. Did you guys see me put down a piece of paper I was quoting from? Psalm 96. There it is. Sorry. As it turns out, it's almost always the nut behind the dial. (laughs) Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. What does that say? Talk about it. By the way, do you know what Jesus' name translates to? If, if you were to take it in the Hebrew and make it and use it as, a, as, a, as, a, as an adjective, it means Yahweh saves. Or, as one of my professors used to say, God to the rescue. That's what it means. His reputation. Talk about that. Tell of his glory among the nations. Well, how do you, well he's this numinous cloud that we don't really know anything. No. He's done great things amongst us. Things that we didn't deserve, he did more than we deserve. And we are the beneficiaries of things that we don't even know about. Well, what are you talking about? His reputation. Who is he? Or we could talk about, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is this one this way and the God of the New. No, that's, that's the way the world sees him. But those that know him talk about his reputation, his wonderful deeds amongst all the peoples, for he is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And so, Kim Jong-il comes up. Kim Jong-un. Right, that's the new one, right? Yeah, the North Korean guy. Kim Jong-un. He shows up and he's in his Rolls Royce and he comes in in Dior and we just fawn over him, don't we? 
well, well, you might not, but wait, let's say that he was maybe somebody really famous and we all really looked up to him and say Billy Graham walked in in his Rolls Royce. Well, no, that doesn't work because Billy Graham wouldn't do that. <laughs> right? He'd come in just a regular car. But, but anyway, this really rich guy comes in and he sits down and we go, oh, you know, this is the best pew. Here, let me clean that off for you. You know what? The pew's not comfortable enough. Let's move the pew and we'll get some of our nice chairs in here for you. Have you ever seen that in the world? Have you ever seen that in the church? Okay, do you know what John Wesley has to say about that? The guy that founded Methodism? He says, you shouldn't have fancy buildings or expensive buildings because once you have them, you'll be beholden to the rich people who can keep the lights on for you. And then their opinions will come in and they'll try to run everything. It's a point to me. But then, so we've rearranged the church around this guy, this person. Maybe it's a fa- famous lady, right? But somebody else comes in and we say, gosh, you know, we really need that car not parked in the parking lot. That's an ugly, No. And and by the way, you can you can only sit in the Northex. Can we accept correction from the teaching of the Lord? Now there's a question, isn't it? Let me tell you this. Are you ready? How many of you know the reference to Bob Euchre and his cheap seats? He's up he sits way up and they take him to go sit way in the back of the thing and there's nobody around him because that's the seat for him. It's the bad spot. Do you know where the term cheap seats comes from? Churches. It's not from arenas. It just makes me want to I just want to groan inside. The spirit just groans inside me when I think of the mid-18th century when churches are raising money and the fancy pews are in the front. They have these little gates here, and you can go in only if you're invited because the donor of the front seats spent a lot of money to pay for that pew so that you could have a building, and you have to have access to it. But as you go back, you know, they become less and less expensive and the cheap seats are in the back, and you didn't get a gate on those seats because you, you didn't really give enough money to control who sits in them. You're right. And I think I just heard this, but that is, do you know, do you know why we have a free Methodist church as opposed to a United Methodist church? Is that what you just said, Dave? Do you know what the, well, there's multiple reasons, but the selling point was this. Are you ready? Our pews are free. In the 1840s. Now, they were having a massive uprising in the Free Methodist Church about slavery and how evil it was. And they predated everybody else too, but they, they, they went, our pews are free and we're not going to raise money that way and we're not going to differentiate. They accepted some correction from Scripture. They also opposed slavery. It's a pretty good thing to be on the correct side of. <laughs> but they're called, the, right, the, the name took. There's worse names for... Ch- Pews, uh, places in churches than the cheap seats. And I don't even, our history is just not good. 
and and you uh, you come to this and 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 you you know where where do we go in a world where where we pick and choose who gets to come and who doesn't get to come and and I mean are we a country club really no so there's so much more to say here I just love Isaiah 45 or 40 verse 5 sorry not Isaiah 45 let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. Let the rough ground be made plain and a rugged terrain smoothed in a broad valley. Now what's going on is language around the coming of a new king where the countryside says a new king is coming. We've got to prepare the road for him. And we clear everything off so that no stumbling is possible. That's the language of roll out the red carpet. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then it starts into some other language that we know in, in, in the Gospels. It says, a voice says, call out. And he answered, what shall I call out? It says, all flesh is grass and all the loveliness is like a flower in the field. Do we hear that language in Jesus ever anywhere? He says, look at the lilies of the valley. They're fancier than Solomon in all their glory, and they just disappear. They're cut down and burned. But the glory of the Lord stays. Do you know that all the fancy things we seek in this life, they come and go? Do you not know that yet? Every time I want something fancy, I just it just comes and goes. And there's one fancy thing after another. It just is it, right. There's this trend. It just keeps. No, but then we do it with people, like we're E Entertainment Channel. Have you ever seen the cult of personality going on there? Look, it's the famous people. What are they doing? We need to be like them. It doesn't say in the Bible ever. Blessed are the big heads, for they just crush and push people aside and just so that they can be in the head of the line. Blessed are they. No, it doesn't say that ever. And it also doesn't say blessed are the famous ones who think of them as so, themselves as so important because they'll have it today and it'll be gone tomorrow. Oh, it does kind of say that though, doesn't it? Here today and gone tomorrow. No, who whose glory is permanent in this situation? Is 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 my glory permanent? No, the Lord's glory is permanent. His reputation amongst the nations for what? For the things he does, for the salvation he brings, for the way he moves in our lives. He does not show favoritism. He welcomes everybody. He brings them in. But there's only one way that he welcomes everybody. Do you know how that is? He doesn't welcome those that come in and say, Hey, look at me. Look how fancy I am. Hey, God, take notice of me. Take care of me because I did all these great things. That didn't work with God. He sees right through it. 
If you want to know God and you want to know him well, you come on your knees saying what? Help. I need help. And who of us doesn't need that? And just be honest for a second. Last week we look at the scriptures and, 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 and as we were in James and it says the mirror of the scriptures, you look at it and what does the scriptures tell you about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror? Oh, you aren't who you thought you were. That's what the scriptures say. You need one-on-one contact with a Savior. How about that? And here it is. But then once we've got one-on-one contact with the Savior, we need to share him with whom? Our neighbors. And who are our neighbors? The ones in front of us. Does that mean the, the, the poor only? No. It means everyone. And as I'm doing this and I'm saying this, I'm getting ready to trans, transfer into a communion little talk here. But, but you've heard me say this specifically about communion, haven't you? That, that we don't uninvite anybody that Jesus is inviting to communion. But it's not just about communion that that happens. That's about us totally. The whole way a church is, is, is figured out is that all those who come, come to the Lord, and the Lord weaves them into a family. We don't uninvite the invited. And when Jesus is drawing people, we help them come. We clear the roads out. We do that. That's the same thing with communion. And so if you come to communion today, the picture is, is that there's provision being made for you in the Lord. That's the picture of communion. And you might not understand it that way because it's just a little piece of bread that you'll be given today. And you can dip it in the cup unless you're gluten intolerant, in which case you'll get a, a little wafer. But the picture is, is that there's, there's nourishment in the Lord come. It, it just strikes me radically that it's exactly like this summer food program that we were just really instrumental in doing here recently where we fed 580 kids in the last week. Do you know what happens at schools when kids come hungry? They don't learn. What's the first thing they need is nourishment, and then they can learn. So when they can learn, they can see that what God has done in their lives, and they can do baptisms, which we're doing next week. But today we're doing communion. It's in the proper order. You get something in their stomachs, their brains start functioning. It's exactly like that in faith. You get something inside you, you get that Jesus inside you, and you start functioning. (laughs) And so I want to make sure that you hear that this way, okay? So as I give some instructions for communion, (laughs) I feel betwixt and between. Let's Close this off with prayer, and then I'll move to communion. How's that sound? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. May we be corrected, and may we accept those you bring to us. May the work of your faith just come to fruition within us, where we are changed, and your glory is spoken of. In your precious name, amen.